Hey folks, Preet here. It's been another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg has asked a judge to impose a partial gag order against former President Donald Trump in the hush money prosecution, citing his history of attacking those involved in legal proceedings against him. Meanwhile, Trump has filed multiple motions to dismiss the Mar-a-Lago documents charges, including challenging special counsel Jack Smith's appointment. And the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos are children under state law, and people may be held liable for destroying them. Joyce Vance and I discuss all that and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. Let's move on to something else that, for various reasons, Joyce, you're the ideal and perfect person to talk about. And that is a, um, a case not in the United States Supreme Court for a change, but in the Alabama Supreme Court. That's a place no one ever wants to be, by the way. <laughs> you know, I'll let you speak your mind as a person who still resides in the state of Alabama. But it's this the state Supreme Court case, eight to one, that a lot of people in the country are finding hard to understand and even noxious to some degree, in which the court ruled that embryos, um, fertilized embryos, through uh, in vitro fertilization, are in fact children, are human beings, for purposes of um, a wrongful death suit. Now, I'm largely going to defer to you on this choice for, for multiple reasons, including you are from Alabama. You are the appellate person in this duo. You are the reproductive rights expert in this duo. And I'll begin with something that I know you have talked about yourself, so I'm not revealing any kind of secret. Um, <laughs> one of the justices of the Alabama Supreme Court, and we'll talk about this, Tom Parker, wrote a separate opinion in which he talks about the reason for his decision, and he invokes God and religion again and again and again. And you've written about this. And the reason I mention it is that Tom Parker became the chief justice of the state Supreme Court of Alabama when he defeated, I hate to say it, your husband in an election for that seat. So can we lay the blame of this decision at your feet, Joyce, for not knocking on enough doors for your husband? Yeah, I, I think we'll just lay it at Bob's feet um, for losing to Tom Parker. You know, in Alabama, all of our statewide elected folks are Republicans. Doug Jones was a temporary blip on the radar screen um, when he was our senator. But look, you know, in, in Alabama, you can pull the lever. I don't know if you can do that every place, which means that when you go in to vote, you just vote straight ticket Republican from top to bottom. And so we've got a Supreme Court where all nine of the justices are Republicans. And no surprises, right? I, I mean, we used to always talk about the Alabamization of America. This was at the very beginning of the Trump administration when people in Alabama were frankly unsurprised while the rest of the country was experiencing shock over some of the policies that Trump was putting in place, starting with the Muslim ban. We were unsurprised because we had seen this sort of thing coming out of our, our governor's office and our Supreme Court um, really ever since Alabama had become a straight-up Republican state. And the specific measure that leads us to this case, and this I think is sort of interesting, in 2018, the Republican supermajority in the Alabama legislature adopts a personhood bill. And that bill is then thrown out um, for all the citizens in Alabama to adopt as a constitutional amendment in the election. 
Alabama passes this constitutional amendment, and it says, in essence, life begins at conception. Now, you might say that was 2018, and Roe versus Wade was still in place, so that provision couldn't go into effect. And you would be right. But here's what was going on. Alabama knew that these continued sustained challenges to Roe versus Wade were going to be ongoing, and they were optimistic, and they wanted to be prepared for the great day when Roe versus Wade would be no more, which is precisely what happened. Dobbs comes down, and suddenly this constitutional amendment is the law of the land in Alabama. Life begins at conception. And that's how we end up um, in this position with this sort of crazy civil case. Three couples in Mobile have embryos in what's called a cryogenic nursery and storage at an IVF facility. Another patient somehow gets into the area, mishandles those embryos. Some of them are dropped and, and they're destroyed. And the families want to file a lawsuit for wrongful death, a negligence theory. The trial judge dismisses their case. You can't do this with embryos. And the case ends up in front of the Alabama Supreme Court, you know, which sort of um, uh, swaddles itself in, in God and religion and the Bible. There are, I think, 41 references to God or godliness in the course of this opinion. And they say, absolutely, those embryos, those are your kids, and you can sue for wrongful death. That's just a civil case. But the implication of that ruling, um, the implications are very broad, up to and including the fact that you could have a situation involving a prosecution for murder, for mishandling of an embryo. Can we take a step back and explain to folks, if you can, how IVF works and why there, why there might be this worry about disposal or destruction of embryos? Because it's not the case that, that a couple goes in, engages in the IVF process, and then they have one embryo, and that does the trick. There are more often than not, in fact, maybe always, I'm not familiar with the procedure. Personally, you have multiple embryos because sometimes you want to make sure that you have you know, enough of them that one of them works, right? And so some of them, just by nature of the process, are going to be extra. Is that a fair way of describing it? You know, I think that's right. I, too, am no expert, but what has been explained um, to me by some of our IVF fertility specialists in Birmingham is that there are a couple of scenarios. One is you have a couple of successful pregnancies. Your family is complete, but you have remaining embryos. They might be destroyed in that situation. And then sometimes the doctor will implant multiple embryos at the same time, and you could end up in a situation where, say, if you implant five or six embryos and all of them take, that would be more um, babies than would be optimal, and you could endanger the mother's health or some of the baby's health. So you might selectively remove um, some of the weaker ones in favor of some of the stronger ones. There are also situations, a lot of people with genetic issues in their profiles will use IVF and they will screen fetuses or they will screen embryos for problems, um, destroying those that, that have uh, really bad genetic problems. So a lot of different situations where this can come up with. And, and the question is, do you have to endlessly store embryos? I mean, that's what this ruling says. You know, if you create five embryos and only use two, will those three have to be sort of kept in frozen storage in perpetuity? It's a squirrely ruling when you think about it that way. It's sort of weird, right? If if they are people, if they are children, but it's okay to keep them in sort of a perpetual frozen state, how is that 
Exactly. According them the respect and dignity of personhood. I mean, if they are, in fact, people, then they are all entitled to be gestated and come to fruition. But you know, Preet, the Alabama legislature has a solution for that. And there are bills circulating in both the House and the Senate. And here's the quick fix. An embryo is not alive, doesn't have personhood until it's implanted in a uterus. So IVF is okay. That's that's the premise for some legislation that's circulating on Goat Hill this week. So we should explain something else. This opinion does not say that IVF is illegal or IVF contravenes Dobbs or anything else of that nature. It's like most most things, a domino effect in the real world, right? So now there's exposure determined by the highest court in the state of Alabama for how embryos are treated. In this case, um, as a civil matter, but obviously, as you said, has implications for criminal exposure as well. And fertility clinics and IVF places have basically paused what they're doing because they don't know what the legal landscape is. So the decision itself did not end IVF in Alabama, but the at least short-term or near-term effect of the ruling is that IVF is off the table, right? This has been a big part of the conservative strategy across the board in abortion and related issues. It's to create so much uncertainty and to create so much risk for providers who um, perform procedures or give certain kinds of advice to patients that they'll stop doing it. It may not, strictly speaking, be illegal, um, but there's just too much risk for the provider of prosecution or civil lawsuits. You know, one of the great examples is the state statutes that say that women can still get an abortion if their lives are at risk. And we've seen this abundance of cases where women are denied care while doctors and ethics boards debate whether their condition is sufficiently bad enough yeah. for them to get care. Yeah, and, and the other wrinkle here is you would think, Okay, the, if an embryo is a life and it's my child, even though it's not implanted in a, in a womb yet, and in Alabama, there's so much uncertainty that the IVF clinics don't want to go forward, I'll come to New York. I'll go to California. And you go and you pick up your embryos uh, and you take care of them because they're yours and they're your children under this ruling um, in the state Supreme Court. They can't do that either. Mm-mm. How does that make sense? You know, I mean, it doesn't. And there have been a couple of cases where families who have been, and again, I'm not really conversant with this treatment, but you have to get shots. And there's a lot of um, both expensive and annoying preparation that goes into this process. And so for people who are ready for the implantation part of the procedure, you know, they just want to take their eggs and go elsewhere. And because there's so much uncertainty about how embryos are treated, um, some of the places where they're stored have have declined to permit them to do that. But but even if that is available, it's really horrific, right? It means that only people with the financial resources to do this are able to make their own decisions about their families and what they want their lives to look like. It's really differential justice for wealthy people. Yeah, I mean, this distinction, some of this comes down to a sort of technical distinction or a philosophical distinction between you know, a fetus that is in the biological womb versus an embryo that is outside of the biological womb. And and I wonder, maybe this is a silly way of thinking about it, given the other um, discussions we've had about the U.S. Supreme Court. Is, is there a history and tradition um, in this country of thinking of embryos outside of the biological womb going back to the founding, that treating such situations as life? 
You know, it's funny that you would ask that question because as you pointed out when we started, there is one dissenter in this Alabama Supreme Court opinion. And his dissent, he he starts out by sort of beating his chest about what a good Christian he is and how against his beliefs abortion is something that has no place in the judicial opinion in this country. But then he essentially says, I'm I'm a strict textualist. And because this wrongful death statute that was, I forget the year that it was enacted, but like 1800s or something like that, because it doesn't mention IVF, then we can't just interpret it as covering um, an embryo that was created under these circumstances. So I guess there's there's your reference to history and tradition um, and a rejection of the argument on that basis. Now, not to get all legally in the weeds, but that's what we do. We do time to time. (laughs) That's what the, because I I was hearing about the case and I I kept wondering, wouldn't it be true? And this turned out to be the case. Wouldn't it be true that when you engage in the process of IVF, that there would be some kind of understanding, maybe even a written contract between the couple who chooses to engage in IVF and the fertility clinic or the IVF clinic or whatever the name of it would be? Because medical facilities are careful. They employ uh, lawyers, colleagues of ours from time to time. Um, and they would have anticipated this issue, you know, even before Dobbs, even before this law was passed in Alabama, about the ultimate outcome for unused embryos. And so as a matter of contract, um, as I understand it from the case, that is dealt with. And I think the Supreme Court even acknowledged that it, it may be that the ability to sue is precluded not by, you know, some other operation of law, but by the contract that the, the the would-be parents and the medical facility engaged in. But that wasn't a basis, or I guess it wasn't really argued in the district court. Can you, can you yeah. explain how that makes any sense at all? You know, this is such a good point because the case that went on appeal to the Alabama Supreme Court wasn't a case after this trial. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.